This is Tuesday, December 5th, and I'm Anastasia Yaglova, your host. You're listening to Cato Daily Podcast. In a feature essay that ran in this week's New Republic magazine, Cato's Vice President for Research, Brink Lindsay, opines that the libertarian disaffection from the Republican Party requires a rethinking of the traditional libertarian alliance with conservatives. In his article, Brink offers a progressive manifesto for a new alliance with liberals. We discuss his proposal in today's podcast. I think that most people would agree with you that if some sort of a realignment away from conservatives and closer to liberals were to happen, that moment is now. But isn't that just trading one flawed alliance for another? Sure. I think libertarians should stick to their principles and stick to making their case for their point of view, no matter what political alliances happen to be working. But for a long time, libertarians have had influence in the real world through talking with conservative policymakers. In recent years, it has seemed that conservatism has lost interest in limited government principles. And so if there's any chance at making inroads on the other side and talking with liberals who are open to moving in a libertarian direction, then I think that's very much worth exploring, and particularly at this time. Is there a common intellectual and policymaking history between Democrats and libertarians? Well, I think the common ground between liberals and libertarians is made most obvious when you consider the fact that many libertarians refer to themselves as classical liberals. So both liberals and libertarians come out of the common liberal political tradition of John Locke and Thomas Jefferson and John Stuart Mill. In the 20th century, liberalism broke apart on the question of economics and the state role in regulating the economy. But I think a lot of water is under the bridge in recent decades, and many people who consider themselves liberals are much more sympathetic to free market positions than their predecessors of a generation or two ago were. You can see that in some very nice, moving tributes to Milton Friedman that we've seen from democratic economists in the last couple of weeks. And I think their predecessors from the 50s or 60s might not have had as kind words for Milton Friedman. So I think that there is a lot of heterogeneity on the left, and there are plenty of people on the left side of the political spectrum that have no interest whatsoever in smaller government or freer markets. But there are elements on the center-left side of the political spectrum that may be willing to move in a more pro-market, more limited government direction. And if you take that and put it alongside the social issues in which libertarians and liberals already agree, then there may be basis for some constructive cooperation. Your essay calls for some kind of a reconciliation between Friedrich Hayek and John Rawls. We're talking about two intellectual arch-rivals here. Where would the points of reconciliation lie? Well, interestingly, Friedrich Hayek had some very nice things to say about John Rawls' political philosophy, that clearly there are major distinctions between the two, but both saw political philosophy as looking at general rules for social and political institutions. And if those general rules are right and just, then what results from them can be considered right and just as well. Clearly, the two had differences on empirical questions of economics, and that led Rawls into a more social democratic direction than a classical liberal direction. But I think that if people who are fans of John Rawls' general schema and people who are fans of Hayek's general schema got together and hashed out some of those empirical differences, that they might find enough common ground to get together. Again, the economics issues that divide libertarians and liberals are the hard part. That's the main challenge. But there's already a great deal of common ground today where liberals and libertarians agree already. They don't need to hash it out. They agree much more than libertarians and conservatives agree on the issue of more liberal immigration. They agree on the importance of preserving civil liberties. They agree in being hostile to the religious rights attempts to legislate personal morality. 
So there are a number of very important issues in which there is already common ground, if liberals and libertarians could simply recognize that. And maybe if they saw that and they saw that they had a lot in common already, that then they might be more open-minded about exploring the possibility of middle ground on some economic questions as well. As you point out, many of the most important points of contention with Democrats are the economic ones, which form the basis of libertarian ideology. How do you expect libertarians to be able to part ways with, say, free markets, free trade, tax reform? I'm not expecting libertarians to part ways with any of those things. In the article I wrote, I didn't write the article to libertarians. I wrote it in the New Republic, addressed to liberals. And I was telling them that they should take two or three giant steps in a pro-free market, pro-limited government direction. And if they did that, they might find that a lot of constituencies that have been holding their nose and voting for Republicans in recent elections might switch and start voting for Democrats. So what I was doing was not giving up on or compromising libertarian principles. I'm simply telling people on the liberal side of the political aisle that maybe if they moved some in our direction, that their political fortunes might benefit accordingly. That would entail some compromises between libertarian ideal positions and the status quo. But the idea is to move things in a smaller government, limited government direction, for instance, on eliminating or cutting corporate welfare and farm subsidies, in moving tax policy in a direction where it doesn't punish investment and savings and productivity, but rather taxes consumption, which has long been a, a kind of free market idea, and to moving away from the current universal middle-class entitlements programs that we have for Social Security and Medicare and moving in a direction where the vast majority of people save for their own retirements rather than having a pay-as-you-go system. So in all of the proposals that I make in this article, I'm suggesting that liberals should consider moving in our direction. Then the issue is to convince Democrats that capitalism is not inimical to progress. But how can that be done when some of them are so stubbornly resistant to the free market? Well, again, Democrats are not a monolithic group, and so there is a whole wide range of political opinion within the Democratic Party, some of it, I think, completely irrevocably hostile to capitalism, and, and those people aren't interested in my arguments, and so there's really no point or no basis for cooperation with them. But there are plenty of people who are Democrats who understand the importance of markets, who understand how government programs, even with the best of intentions, can still foul things up, and who appreciate the importance of individual liberty on issues of civil liberties and personal morality in a way that sometimes conservatives forget. So it's those kinds of people that I think are potential coalition partners with libertarians to push forward needed policy reforms. Are the beginnings of this kind of fusionism visible anywhere on the political landscape today? I think in the micro sense, we already see some kind of odd bedfellow coalitions on farm subsidies. You have progressive NGOs like Oxfam and Environmental Working Group that have been working hand in hand with free market groups on exposing uh, the evils of farm subsidies and their detrimental consequences, both domestically and abroad. A couple of years back, Ed Crane, Cato's president and the executive director of the Sierra Club, wrote a joint op-ed in the Washington Post advocating a zero-subsidy energy policy in preference to the horrible corporate welfare energy bill that uh, then was winding its way through Congress. So we see on particular issues already some common ground, even on economics issues. And of course, on civil liberties and personal morality issues, there's been longstanding liberal and libertarian cooperation. So these things exist on discrete issues. The question is whether those specific issues can be cobbled together into something that coheres as an overall kind of political movement or political position.
In an earlier podcast interview with Marcos Melitzas of DailyCoast.com, he expressed to me the idea that he's not interested in luring traditional libertarians into his fold. He's interested in growing a libertarian base within his own party, so he would not be amenable to making the kinds of compromises that you propose in your essay. Any thoughts? I think that Marcos Melitzas is an interesting character, and I wish him well in his pursuits. He's doing his thing. I'm doing mine. I think there is some overlap between what he's interested in accomplishing and what I'm interested in accomplishing. He is interested in bringing to the fore in democratic politics politicians who stress individual liberty issues. Unlike me, he would say that sometimes individual liberty is threatened by big corporate power, and I see that the primary threat to individual liberty is government. So we have definite differences on public policy. But his general interest in cultivating a kind of libertarian sensibility in the Democratic Party is one that I applaud and one that I think may ultimately have policy position consequences that aren't the ones that Marcos might have foreseen. If you enjoyed this program, consider subscribing to Cato Audio, a dynamic 60-minute monthly recording that brings you inside the Cato Institute for highlights from exceptional one-of-a-kind lectures and events on key issues of the day presented by nationally known scholars, authors, and political leaders. Cato Audio is available on our website as well as on iTunes and audible.com.